Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. I don't know if you realize, but, uh, but since the day you were born, you, there was this pressure for all of us to conform to sort of fit into a particular mold, to settle in, to, to, to go with the flow, to just be normal. And I get it. I get it. All of us want to be accepted. If you're a parent of teenagers, you want your teenagers to be normal. Right? I understand that. We want to be liked. It's kind of why we go to extremes to, to be accepted. It's why we go to extremes to, to, to fit in, to look, in many ways, to look like everyone else. And we don't say that to ourselves because that's kind of bad to say, I want to look like them. But we, we have this. It's this pressure to conform. In fact, that's why the, the clothing, the fashion industry is like this billion dollar industry because it feeds, it feeds our desire to be accepted, to, to conform, to, to just be normal. But you need to understand something, that Jesus has something so much greater for you than just normal. He didn't die on a cross so that you could just become normal. So you can be like everyone else. He died on the cross because he has a plan and a purpose for your life. You were uniquely created by him. Your, your life is meant to make a mark in this world. And yet there's this pressure on us simply to conform. So we've been in this series, Unleashed Faith, and we've been talking about, first week we talked about seeing as God sees, and that's this idea we put in contrast, faith, uh, seeing with eyes of faith versus seeing with eyes of fear, that part of launching out into this unleashed faith kind of life, it starts by dealing with our fears and recognizing that we are not, as followers of Christ, meant to look at life through eyes of fear, but instead, we should see the way God sees, and that's seeing through eyes of faith. Then a couple of weeks ago, we talked about stepping into the water. I think sometimes we're not playing to win, we're playing more to not lose, and so really what God is calling us into is to risk, take those scary, risky steps forward. Sometimes it means putting your foot into the unknown. You're not sure what's going to be there, but you're going to step into that. And then last week, we talked about a faith that's advancing. We talked about Jonathan. You remember uh, Jonathan and his armor bearer? You know, they, they decided to advance. Um, so we're talking about standing out for Jesus. And in that story with Jonathan and his armor bearer, what we find is that they went, to this, they went beyond the point of no return. Like they had this strategy and the strategy is that, you know, God's going to give us the victory. God's going to give us the battle. God's going to help us overcome whatever circumstances we have. God's going to do that for us. But it starts with actually stepping out and letting them see us, which in the natural is a foolish strategy. In the natural, it's crazy. Why would you let them? And I, I, I kind of talked about it last week. You know, wouldn't you be better off just kind of wearing a ninja outfit and sneaking up at night? 
But instead, instead, the, it, the, the, the challenge that he was feeling was to be seen. Let them see us, he said. Jonathan makes a decision to stand out and not hide. I think sometimes we don't go all in for Jesus because we're afraid of looking foolish. We're afraid of being seen and, and thinking that people think about us that we're just we're crazy, we're foolish, right? And so what we do is we resign ourselves to a life of conformity. Americans, we have, there's a lot of phobias in America. People have fears about a lot of things. You know, we have fear of, of terrorism. We have fear of a, of a recession, possible depression, economically speaking. We have all kinds of fears. They say that the number one fear, though, when you do, the people list their fears, most people, their number one fear is fear of public speaking. I'm like, really? It just doesn't. In fact, they say it this way. They fear, it says, they fear public, like in the list, you know, the numbered list, up higher is fear of public speaking and down lower is fear of death. Like, like they're, and I've heard this because I've asked people, I say, hey, would you like to, would, would you like to share your testimony? Would you like to speak at the men's breakfast? Or would you like to do this? And, they'd be, and they, they'll literally say, I'd rather die. <laughs> like there's that fear, you know? We're terrified of speaking. And I think in the subconscious of that, that, that really, you're not afraid to, you would rather speak than die, I promise you that. But subconsciously what it is is that what we're really saying is we're afraid of looking foolish. We're afraid that we're going to get up to speak and start talking, and everybody in the audience, maybe you have an imagination going on, everybody in the audience is going to start pointing a finger at you and laughing. Ha, 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 look at them. He doesn't even know what he's saying. And so we're afraid of looking foolish, and so instead we, 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 con we conform. You see, it's the fear of looking foolish that causes a fourth grader not to raise their hand when they have a question in class. It's the fear of looking foolish not asking her, asking her out on a date because you're afraid that she, she's going to reject you. It's the fear of looking foolish when you decide to not change your career path because even though you feel like you should, but you're not going to change your career path because what will people say? Standing out for Jesus, taking a few faith risks is exactly what you need to see in your faith for it to be unleashed. So, first... Unleashed faith sometimes looks foolish. I, we don't like that. <laughs> None of us in this room want to look foolish. But if you're going to go all in for God, sometimes it's going to look like that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, God deliberately chose things the world considers foolish. God, God deliberately chose foolish things. Foolish things, things that don't make sense, things that you and I would discount. We say, that's not, you know, that can't be God. That's not for me. I don't want to go there. I don't want to do that. But God deliberately chose them. Why? In order to shame those who think they are wise. Like the way God sees and the way we see are very different. That's why Noah looked foolish when he was building an ark in the middle of a desert. Hadn't rained ever. <laughs> And he's saying, it's going to rain. And they're like, what? You're nuts. You're foolish. It's crazy. 
It's why Sarah, Abraham's wife, is 90 years old and she's shopping for maternity clothes. <laughs> That's right. And people are like, you're what? Come on, just, you should be a great grandma by now. What are you thinking? You're, what are you talking about? That's why David looked foolish attacking a giant with just a slingshot. That's why Peter looked foolish when he he was invited to step out of the boat and he steps out of the boat and starts into this, you know, the middle of the lake. It's even why Jesus looked foolish when he was hanging on a cross naked, dying on that cross. An unleashed faith is the willingness to look foolish. That kind of faith moves God into action and miracles happen. And so Noah was saved from a flood. Sarah had a baby at 90. David slayed a giant. Peter walks on water and Jesus is raised from the dead. This is what happens when you step out in faith and you say, this looks crazy, this looks foolish, but God is there and the miracle always happens on the other side of that. Listen, if you want to gain momentum in your faith life, you will have to be willing to do some of those crazy, risky steps of faith, even though you might look foolish. I mean, I, I understand that. It, it really looked foolish. It really looked crazy <laughs> when we were at the rec center and we were moving to North Liberty to, to you know, build that building out. And it was like, we don't have money for that. And we're just a small crowd. And we don't, you know, there was all kinds of reasons not to do it. It looked really crazy to do that. And then, and then again later, we, we had this other crazy idea that we're going to buy land in North Liberty and simultaneously rent this space that we're in right now, which, again, looked very, very crazy and definitely did not have the money for that. And then, you know, a pandemic comes and when everybody's pulling back and everybody's safeguarding and everybody's protecting and everybody's trying to guard assets and all that stuff... It's like God speaks and says, hey, you know what? You're going to launch a couple campuses during a pandemic. So we end up launching Cedar Rapids and Wilton. And I have to be honest with you. Can I just be honest with you about this? I, every time after that, I would stand up here and I'd say, this is what we're going to do. Hallelujah. And then I'd go home like, God, what? this is crazy. Rich, you're an idiot. Don't ever do that. This is wrong. You're gonna, it's gonna, what if you fail? You're going to look foolish. Faith sometimes looks foolish. <clears throat> Number two, un an unleashed faith will resist conformity. In Romans 12, the Apostle Paul is speaking. He says, do not conform to the patterns of this world. Do not conform. This word right here in the Greek is this idea of a mold. Do not just fit into the mold. Don't, don't just be like everybody else. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. The world has an idea of how you should be what you should look like, how you should talk, how you should act. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. <clears throat> his, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul is challenging us to change our way of thinking. That in our thinking, we should not be fitting into a mold, but instead in being set free from Christ, by Christ, living by faith, there's something that happens inside of us that we begin to be transformed. And before long, we are actually doing exploits for God. And the world thinks it's crazy. The world thinks it's foolish. But you are living your best life in God. 
This is what Paul's inviting us into. I don't know if you've ever heard of divergent thinking. It's a, it's a science out there that kind of, it's this idea that divergent thinking really focuses more on creativity, whereas convergent thinking, the opposite of that, there's divergent thinking, there's convergent thinking. Convergent thinking is more about systems and processes. Convergent thinking is about um, this is the way it's done. These are rules and regulations you fit within a box. Divergent thinking is this idea of creativity and thinking outside of the box. And so there's a study done several years ago, and, and it talks about, it was, it was studying the idea of divergent thinking, creative thinking, thinking independently um, in terms of age groups. And so the first age group was three to five. And ages three to five, they thought, they thought independently. 98% of them think independently. 98% of eight, three to five-year-olds are divergent in their thinking. And this was, uh, this was actually, I was, uh, on Thursday, I was... Uh, um, uh, having our campus pastors meetings. Jairus is over there. Hey, Jairus. <laughs> talking about Jairus. And we were talking about this very topic, divergent thinking. And then um, Abby, his wife, campus pastor's wife, there brought uh, Isaiah to, to the meeting because she had to go do a recording. And so they brought Isaiah and he sat down with us, you know, and then we kept talking. We were talking about this very subject. And then Isaiah, he was... Um, he was, we had some dominoes, and he was like building these dominoes up like that. And then, I, and then I don't know if we asked him or if he just said it, but he goes, this is an alien spaceship. That's, uh, that's divergent thinking. That's independent thinking at its finest, right? It's just dominoes. And then in first service, I said this in first service, and somebody walked up to me and said, have you ever, he asked me, he goes, have you ever seen an alien spaceship? I'm like, No. He said, well, then how do you know that that wasn't an alien spaceship? <laughs> so maybe Isaiah has something, right? Ages three to five, 98% are think independently. Ages eight to 10, it, it drops. It drops down to 32%. And what's happening here, this movement from here to there, this is like genius and divergent thinking. This is way below. What's happening from here to here is all the voices around are saying, conform, conform. Fit into the mold. Be normal. Don't be, extra, don't be extraordinary. Don't be different. Just be normal, right? Then teenagers, it drops down to 10%. You wait, and you, and I, I know the argument. You're, you say, wait, te- my teenager is very creative in what she wears. <laughs> and my teenager is very creative in how she can talk to me about how she doesn't like what we, our rules and regulations. Like, like we might think that our teenagers are actually very creative, and, and some of them are, but the truth is that it just shifts. The conforming, instead of conforming to what a teacher says and all this stuff, it starts shifting to what their peers are saying. This is how we need to fit in. This is who we need to be. We need to fit into this peer group. And then the last group is ages 25 up, and that's most of us in this room. Only 2% of us think independently. And the majority of us are <clears throat> in, this, in this realm of conformity. The study reveals that the older we get, the less divergent is our thinking. And the reason for that is the world is constantly, constantly pressuring us to just be normal. Just conform. Follow the rules. Do only this, these things. Those are outside the box. Don't go there. But here's what I've understood. God is incredibly creative 
And in fact, in fact, in the 40 plus years that I've been serving him now, I, my experience is that he's still, to this day, I've, I've seen a lot and I've experienced a lot, but to this day, I'm still seeing God. He surprises me with his creativity. The things that he does, conversations I have, I come up and I start having a conversation. And it's like, I've never heard that before. That's how God is. We're called instead to conform to Jesus Christ. And Jesus was a non-conformist, by the way, just so you know. Okay, we're called to conform to Jesus Christ, but I'm throwing a little play of words here. He was a non-conformist. That means the more we become like Christ, the more we, the more, and the more we stand out, we will be non-conformist. There's a cultural struggle in the church right now. You see, the world is changing so rapidly in my own life, I've experienced incredible amount of change technology-wise and, and, and ministry philosophy. There's been so much change in these last 40 years. It's changing so rapidly that it's got, the, it's got many of the, within the church back on their heels a little bit, and they're trying to preserve what they have. They're trying to save what, they used to, what was so amazing to them. They're trying to save that. And in doing that, they're coming up with rules. It's increasing pressure within the church to conform, dress a certain way, look a certain way, vote a certain way. And as holy as all that might sound, you need to understand that that's religion. And Jesus was disgusted with religion. He resisted religion. We're not called to conform to religion. We're called to conform to Christ. And what does it look like to conform to Christ? To love radically as Christ did. To, 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 to give sacrificially as Christ did. To reject passivity. And to passionately pursue, pursue God and your relationship with him. Be transformed by him. Just as Christ did. This is a call to stand out and reject conformity. I remember when I was a kid. I don't remember a whole lot of things from second grade. Uh, how many of you remember second grade very much? A little bit. I don't remember a whole lot of it. <laughs> but, I ha but second grade was, was memorable for me because of my teacher, Mrs. Sanchez. Mrs. Sanchez, I, I grew up, I don't know if you know this, but I grew up in the country of Panama and uh, lived in a little town called Gamboa, which is pretty close to uh, Panama City. And, um, and I was going to this elementary school. I'd get drop up, dropped off by my grandmother or my, my, my mom. And... Um, and Mrs. Sanchez, I'd come into Mrs. Sanchez's class, and to be honest, I was terrified of Mrs. Sanchez. She was just mean. At least in my opinion, she was mean. She always carried around a little 12-inch ruler. Like, she, walked, she would walk through the hallways with a ruler, you know? And I didn't understand it until I realized why. You know, like, if I didn't have my hand in the right, you know, because you used to have to learn cursive in school. I don't think you have to anymore. But if you didn't have your hand in the right angle to do right cursive, she'd walk up with that ruler and swatch you on your hand. <laughs> so I was terrified of Miss Sanchez. So terrified one time that, that, you know, she was like, nobody gets out of their seat. You know, she was always harping about staying in your seat. So I had to go to the bathroom but I didn't want to ask Ms. Sanchez to get out of my seat. So I peed in my pants on the, in, the, on, you know, in the seat. I mean, it was just, I was terrified of her. Well, I'm not, that's not what I'm telling the story about, about Ms. Sanchez, but <clears throat> <laughs> what, 
what was what was funny though one time is I was I was sitting there and I, and you know I'm second grade so I'm looking out the window and they had these long windows and there's these hummingbirds flying there's a lot of hum, hummingbirds in Panama and hummingbirds just going back and forth you know and I was just it got me I was intrigued by it right so I'm watching these hummingbirds and before long I noticed I started daydreaming a little bit and the next thing I know I'm flying jet fighter planes you know like in my dreams, I'm flying these jet fighter planes and I'm taking out the enemy or, or I'm saving damsels in distress, you know, and I'm just, I'm living the adventure of a life. I'm sitting in class living this adventure when suddenly I hear swap on the, on the desk, that little ruler. And Miss Sanchez looking down at me, she's saying, Ricky, I used to be called Ricky, don't call me Ricky now, but I used to be called Ricky. Ricky, stop daydreaming. I'm gonna call your mom. That was enough for me to stop day, daydreaming that day was calling my mom. I, I fear, I fear that for too many of us, this world has called us to be normal, to conform. And somewhere along the line, we stopped dreaming. And we lost our faith edge. We're living a life that is normal and conforming. And God is calling you out of that. We're living a life of don't dream, just conform. An unleashed faith will resist conforming. Number three, an unleashed faith is caring less about what other th- others think and more about what God thinks. King David is a prime example of somebody who cared a lot about what God thought of him. Even though, you know, we, we can go throughout, <clears throat> study the, the life of King David, but here we are now 2,000 plus years removed from the life of King David and we still are talking about King David. That's how much impact he made in this world, even though David had a lot of sin in his life. He made a lot of mistakes. Still, he had a heart after God. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, David has just been crowned king of, of Israel, and, and you know, he wants to get the, the Ark of the Covenant, which represents, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, represents the, the presence of God. He wanted to get the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And there was a lot of, mistakes that happen along the way, but finally, it's coming back to Jerusalem. Now, when we read texts and we hear about these kind of things, we're like, oh yeah, okay, the Ark Covenant went back to Jerusalem. It was a big deal. I want you here, um, Hawkeye fans, any Hawkeye fans in this room? Okay. Imagine, <laughs> imagine, uh, we make a big deal about the Cy Hawk trophy, right? Imagine if the Hawkeyes won the national championship and they were bringing the trophy back. Would, would there, let me ask you something, would there be some drunken celebrating going on in the streets here in Iowa City? Absolutely there would be. I mean, there, there would be a party going on, right? Well, this is equivalent to that. The ark is coming back to Jerusalem. Second Samuel chapter six, though, listen, to, listen to the response of, of, of David's wife. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, David, uh, David's wife, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. So she's up in the building, she's looking down, she sees David. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. His own wife despises him, right? You see, David was more excited. <clears throat> David was more excited about what God thought. He was more excited about the ark, the presence of the Lord coming into Jerusalem than he was about what people, other people thought about him. And what's interesting about this passage is that, that Michal, who grew up in the king's, you know, in, in the palace, basically she understood all the protocols of a king. She knew that a king should not strip himself naked and go dancing in the streets. 
And so she despises him because he's not acting like a king. She wants him to conform and be like a king, like King Saul maybe. But David, his identity wasn't found in wearing that crown. His identity was found in his relationship with God that he, that he cultivated on the hillside as he was watching sheep and killing bears and lions. He had seen the hand of God and now the very presence of God was in Jerusalem. David's security was in his relationship with God. That's why as you stand out for Jesus, you will need to move from caring less about what other people think and caring more about what God thinks. Believe me, I understand this. I can't tell you the number of times that people have said to me, it's not gonna work. Even though I have a word from the Lord, this is gonna work. Somebody says, it's not gonna work. Even had a consultant once when we were moving into this building and, and I, 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 you know, I was, I, it was just a lot of money, <laughs> okay? And I was weighing it out. I was trying to figure out, God, I, I have faith, but I don't know if I have this much faith. And so I went and talked to this consultant and I kind of expressed you know, what I feel like is the right thing to do, but this is gonna cost this much money. And that consultant looked at me who does, you know, does this for a living. He says, that's not gonna work. Don't do it. Wait, he said, wait five more years. In those early days when I was, when we were here in the rec center and I remember somebody, you know, our church hadn't grown a whole lot and somebody would come up to me and say, hey, Rich, you know, you were more successful on the mission field. You should not pastor. <laughs> Listen, if I were worried about what people think, I'd get nowhere in life. Nowhere. Believe me, it's amazing how many people have ideas and designs for my ministry. It's amazing how many people around you have ideas and designs for your life. And they want you to conform to those ideas and designs. I can't satisfy everybody, so I must deeply care about what God thinks and him alone. In fact, what I would say to you, an unleashed faith, an unleashed faith is more about caring for the audience of one in your life. What is he saying? What does he want you to do? How does he want you to step out? What is he calling you into, right? In this movie, Rocky Three, I know, probably nobody in this room watched Rocky Three. I get it. <laughs> I mean, by, by the time you get to Rocky Two, you're like, yeah, and then Rocky Three rolls around, you're like, yeah, forget it. We're not gonna watch Rocky Three. But in the movie Rocky Three, it's, 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 there's this really cool exchange that happens. Um, <clears throat> Mick is Rocky's trainer. And, uh, and in the, in the, there's, a, there's a scene in the movie where he's packing his bags, he's putting everything away, and he's quitting. He's like quitting his job on Rocky. He's like, yeah, because you're not gonna win. You're not gonna win against Clubber Lang. He's gonna kill you. He's gonna destroy you. He's this beast. And then Mick says this, and every, every time, ever since I've heard this, it's like there's this little spiritual check inside my own spirit. I'm going to try to say it the way Mick said it. I'm not going to do a very good job at it, I'm sure. But this is what he says. You was hard. You was nasty. You had this cast iron jaw, but then the worst thing happened to you that could happen to any fighter. You became civilized. I wonder how many of us have gotten civilized in our faith and we've lost our faith edge. There's something about Christianity that's barbaric, about always pushing forward. We care only for what Christ thinks. Number four, unleashed faith is less about religion and more about passion. 
In Matthew chapter 21, there's this, um, uh, this uh, scene that happens. It's kind of, kind of catch, catches you off guard. You know, Jesus is going around healing people, and then he does this. He says this. Jesus entered the temple area, drove out all, all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Get an image of that. Okay, let's think about that scene real quick. Because again, we read scripture, and because it's so far long ago that, well, okay, I don't know what happened. Jesus walks into the temple. It's a bustling place. A lot of activity going on. There's all this trading. You have to, the only offerings that you can give were animals or a certain coin that was out of circulation that had to be bought. And Jesus walks in, takes a look, and he sees what's going on, and he's just angry. And he walks up to a table, and, you know, they're, like, offering him a dove to sacrifice. They're offering him animals. And what does he do? He grabs a table, and he flips it upside down. And then he goes ballistic. He starts turning everything upside down. Then he says this. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. This story seems so out of character with the Jesus that you and I have constructed. Our Jesus is meek and mild and docile. And we mistakenly think that when Jesus turns the other cheek, that somehow or another he has no spine. But that's not the Jesus that we serve. We serve a God who is all powerful. All right? <clears throat> Jesus we serve is tough. And that day in the temple, what his disciples experienced from him was a passion for God. A passion for God. Not for religion. A passion for God. As followers of Christ, we should be the most passionate people on earth. We should have these convictions that drive us, that push us, that lead us toward God. This passion that flows out of us. I mean, like, what is Jesus passionate about? Do you know what Jesus is passionate about? He's passionate about people who are lost, being found, He's passionate about people who are disconnected, who, who feel you know, disconnected from others and from God, being connected again. He's passionate about you being transformed and discovering the life and the adventure that God has called, you, called, called for you in your life. That's what he's passionate about. So what are you passionate about? I'm afraid that some of us, we have some misplaced passions, right? Like Jesus, I love you, but I'm passionate about making a lot of money. Jesus, I love you, but you know, my kids, they're, they're my priority. They're first in my life. Jesus, I love you, but, but go Hawks. <laughs> right? What are you passionate about? Can I share with you a few things I think Jesus is passionate about? You see, as you start growing in your faith, those misplaced passions will be replaced with his passions. Let me share a few of those. <clears throat> Jesus is passionate about having a relationship with your coworker. That person you see on a regular basis that has a completely different worldview than you do. They might have even voted for the other guy. <laughs> Jesus is passionate about having a relationship with that person. Jesus is passionate about that little girl in the slums of, of Calcutta or Mumbai who's been sold into the sex trade. <clears throat> I 
you know, we sit here and we're very comfortable. And some of us, some of us can be so self-centered that we think that as we're sitting here, God is just looking straight at me like, Rich, you're awesome. But you know what he's looking at right now? A little girl in Mumbai that was taken from her family and sold into the streets as a sex slave. Jesus is passionate about that. Jesus is passionate that you grow in your love and care for your spouse instead of growing apart over time. Jesus is passionate about marriages, saving marriages in a time when it seems like marriages are just falling apart left and right. Jesus is passionate that you unleash your faith and stand out for him in the public square. Stop hiding. Stop saying I'm in, but then I'm not in when I'm around certain people. Be in. Jesus is passionate about you beginning to give yourself away in service to others. Like, we live in such a self-centered world, and that world is so difficult. It's so difficult for us to intentionally and in a regular basis serve other people, make others the focus. But Jesus is passionate about that. In this series, we've been challenging the status quo. We're challenging misplaced passions, inviting you on an adventure to take some risks, to, to, you know, and, 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 and it might be a little scary, but it's as exciting as well. What makes it exciting is that as you step out in faith, as you start going in that, as you start trusting Jesus along the way, you begin to see his hand at work. You begin to see the miracle starting to happen in your life because you're trusting him. Yes, it's scary. Yes, it's risky. But as you're stepping out, you're seeing his hand move. And ultimately, that's what we want more than anything else. We want to see God move. So I don't know about you, but I want to stand out for Jesus. I want us as a church to go after something so big that it's destined to fail unless he intervenes. Cedar Rapids, that's what we want. But here's the cool thing. We always say that statement, but we don't finish it. Because here's the cool thing. He will intervene. (laughs) If your faith is leading you, if God is calling you in that direction, he's saying, step out, stand for me, stand out for me. As you do that, he will intervene. And guess what happens on the other side of that faith? The miracles happen. Lives are transformed. The things that Jesus is passionate about begin to happen around you. Your family family gets saved. Your children who are lost and disconnected, they come back to Jesus. I have firsthand experience of that in my own home. So what about it? Isn't it time to stand out for Jesus? You see, when we stand out for Jesus and we start going all in for him, it starts changing the environment around us here in Corville. We'll begin to experience that, experience that. On the other side of that faith, what will happen in this town, people will not be able to say, oh yeah, I don't know about that whole Christianity thing. In Wilton, you know, the, and the surrounding towns of Durant and West Liberty and, and Muscatine, as you stand out, as God begins to move, as, as you go after something so big that it's destined to fail, here's what's gonna happen. God's gonna move and those people around are gonna say, I don't wanna live this life that I've been living, I wanna live a new life. Cedar Rapids, the same. God won't be irrelevant anymore when he begins to move. 
Amen? And so here's how I want to change. Here's how I want to end this, this message. Is I want to ask us, if you've stopped dreaming, if you started, if you see your life and you say that my life is just about conforming right now, I'm just kind of following the rules, and you stop dreaming, but you're ready to stand out for Jesus, I'm just going to ask you here, Wilton, Cedar Rapids, I'm just going to ask you to stand up. Stand up. There's a lot of pressure here because if you don't stand up, well, <laughs> people around you will know. I'm ready for God to move in this place. Not in this building. That's not what I'm talking about. There are people that I have known over the last 17 years that we've been here that I've got to meet wonderful, beautiful people that are far from God still. And I've tried all the creative and ingenious kind of tactics to minister to them and talk to them and somehow maybe thought that it was all on me. But I know a way that they will turn their heart to God and it's not because of rich. As God begins to move and they begin to experience the presence of God in their life, they can't help but say, God, I'm gonna follow you, I'm gonna serve you. And that's what I want more than anything else in this city, in this town, in Eastern Iowa. And you know what, if you, we all band together here in Corville and Cedar Rapids, if we band together, say, God, use us. Here we are. We're gonna step out and be seen. We're gonna stand out for Jesus. No more hiding. That's exactly what he'll do. Amen. Let me pray for us. Our prayer teams are gonna be here. We're gonna end with a song of worship. Our prayer teams are here. If you're here this morning and you need prayer, if you've never given your life to Jesus, we'd like to know that. You can always communicate with us through the, the connection card in front of you. You can also step out and talk to one of our prayer team members. They'd love to pray with you as well. Let me pray for us. Father, God, you know exactly what we need. Father, you know that there's a multiplicity of people here from different backgrounds and ethnicities and cultures and, and values and whole diverse people here right now. And you speak to us in very unique and different ways. And right now, God, I'm asking you to speak. God, will you speak to us about standing out for you, about living this unleashed faith kind of life? Today, Father, we commit ourselves to you. We surrender our whole lives to you. We are all in. Will you take us, use us, and multiply, God, what you want to do in this city. Fill these empty seats with people that we love, people that we've prayed for, people that we've walked with. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship.